Lord, we've come this morning to seek your word and to seek your will. And we ask, Lord, that you would please send us your Holy Spirit. Please guide us, O Lord, into all truth. And as we open the Bible, Lord, please open our hearts and our minds. May you please guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 24. We're looking at a text that our sister, one of the ladies, quoted yesterday before she sung the special music. Matthew 24, and what verse were we looking at? Verse 14. I believe that was what she was quoting. The Bible here says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in how much? All the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Friends, the mission of God for us today is to preach the gospel to the whole world. And of course, we know this gospel in Revelation chapter 14 that the Bible outlines as the everlasting gospel where this angel is holding that in his hand and he's crying with a loud voice to all nations and kindreds and tongues and people. And he says with a loud voice, this everlasting gospel. If there's anything that we ought to know today, it's the three angels' messages, amen? This should be our message this should be what we live. This is what we should preach. This is what we should teach today because if we don't do that, we're not fulfilling the everlasting gospel commission and Jesus is never, ever, ever coming back again. But friends, God will have his people. He will have those people that will understand this message and that will live this message. And I want to look at the first part of this message this morning. Be it familiar to maybe most of you, or if not all of you, the first part of the first angel's message is what? Is what? Fear God. And I'm going to take a deeper look into this. And maybe you've already studied this before, but maybe it bears a bit of repetition to us this morning. But I want to look at this message of fear God and how it applies to us today in our life. Because I tell you now, friends, the gospel just preached as we know it today will not bring in the second coming. Let me say that again. The gospel just preached today as we know it, as in a person standing up on a podium and he's sharing the word of God, it is not enough to bring in the second coming. Now we have media, we have evangelists, we have music evangelists, we have people that travel far and wide. But I have this question for you. Why is our church still in such big trouble? Why are we not keeping up with the growth rate in the world today? Why is our church still at the same point? Could it be our methods really are not working? I want us to really think about these things today as God has called us all to be servants for him. Amen? What does it mean to fear God? Genesis chapter 22. Familiar story, be it to most of us. What does it mean to fear God? I'm going to go through this story quickly, but I want to look at some other texts 
that will help us to gain understanding to this one question that I posed before you this morning. What's the purpose of living this righteous life? Why, why do we strive to be perfect? Because to be a servant of Christ affects us not just to share the gospel, but also personally in our lives. Genesis 22, are we all there? Verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and he said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of the young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Here we read the account of God coming straight to Abraham and he says what? Go offer your son, your only son, whom you love. As if to rub salt into the wound, and I want you to sacrifice him. And it's interesting in verse 3 that Abraham, he rises up and he takes that which God told him to do. But what we don't understand is this. You see, Ellen White says that Abraham, he went back to the tree where he met the three men, which was Jesus and two angels. And he was waiting and waiting and he was pacing around. Lord, are you sure this commandment that you gave me was true? Are you sure it was real? Are you sure it was from you? And he was waiting, but he never met anybody. But yet he continued on. Verse 4, Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Oh, how those words must have pierced the heart of his father. For he did not know that he was that sacrifice. And yet Abraham still had to divert the answer without giving his son the direct answer, but at the same time not lying. Son, it's you. He did not say that. God will provide for himself a burnt offering. And Abraham said, my son, pardon me, verse 9 now. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Friends, you know, this shows how wonderful and faithful a father of Abraham was. He trained his son in such a way that even when the son did not know what was going on, he still obeyed his dad. What kind of home training is that? God knew that Abraham would command his household after him. 
And here we have the perfect example. Can you imagine your parents taking you to a mountain, ready to sacrifice you? What would you do? I'm sure Isaac had seen a sacrifice before, right? He knew the, the steps and whatever it took. He's asking his dad, Dad, where's the sacrifice? He knew. But yet, when his dad took him and put him on the altar, Isaac willingly got up and he lay there. He didn't run. His dad was over 100 years old by now, probably closer to about 120 years old. Abraham didn't live that much longer than we did. And his son, 17, 18 years of age, willfully gets on that altar. You know, if it was me, I would, what would I would have done? Dad, you are nuts. I'm telling mom. <laughs> My mom would have come out at him with a big stick. What are you doing? Don't ever do that to my son again. <laughs> but Isaac willingly lays on that altar. And then it says in verse 10, that Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called out to him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. It was at the point that Abraham had his hand stretched out that the angel stops him and says, Now I know that you fear me. What does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to fear the Lord? This example here points it out quite simply. What is it, friends? To obey him, right? But you see, there's more to this message than meets the eye. Yes, it talks about obedience, but I want to add a little bit more to go a bit further in this story that many times we just say, okay, it's obedience. But you see, from the time that the voice came to Abraham in verse 1 up until verse 11, verse 12, we do not hear any account anymore of God speaking to Abraham. And inspiration makes it very clear as well that from the time that God said, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, that son that you love, your only son, from that time until three to four days later, God never spoke to Abraham again. It was only when Abraham had his hands stretched out, ready to bring the knife down onto his son, that now God sends his angel and says, stop. Now I know that you fear me. Yes, it's obedience. But you see, Abraham did not understand why God was doing this. In the morning when God called out to Abraham, he didn't go, uh, God, are you sure? Am I hearing things right? 
So he goes over to that tree and he waits and he waits and the angel doesn't come. God doesn't come and meet him where he met him before. You know, sometimes we go to our past experiences and God, you met me here. Surely you'll do it again. But Abraham, he didn't see God. But yet he still went on. Three days journey to the point where he had the knife outstretched to kill his son. And only then, God spoke to him. It's obedience without understanding the reason why. Now, I've got to make this clear. Did, under, did Abraham understand what God wanted him to do? Yes or no? You sound unsure. Did Abraham understand what God wanted him to do? Yes or no? He did. The command was very clear. Take your son, offer him as a sacrifice. It doesn't get any clearer than that. And I'm going to show you a mountain where to do it. But did Abraham understand the reason why? He didn't. You know, sometimes we as Christians... We wait for the reason why. God, you told me not to drink caffeine. Show me why it's bad. Because when I drink it, it makes me more awake, more productive. I'm better at my work, even your work. I can do more for you, God. And I'm not going to stop until you show me the reason why. God, I believe you gave me this job. You opened up the way because there's no other way I was going to get this job. It wasn't for you. I prayed, and now they're making me work on Sabbath. And if I don't work, I'm going to lose my job. Now, surely you don't want that to happen to me, do you? So I'm going to wait for you to show me the answer. And many times we wait on God and we wait so long that we delay our obedience. You see, it's important to obey, but we have to get to a point in our life when we learn to fear God that whatever he says, we will do it. Without questioning why, oh, I can't explain it to you scientifically. All I know is the Bible told me to do it. Here it is. It seems like everybody else is going against the trend of what you're doing. All the other Israelites, all the other Jews, all the other Adventists, they don't understand. But I see it from the Bible. I don't understand why. I don't know the outcome of this, God. But I know your command. I'll do it. We have to get to a point in our life where we come into such a relationship with Jesus or else, preaching will do nothing for taking the gospel to the whole world if we do not show to the world that our faith is so powerful that whatever God says, I will do it. If we continue to preach and don't live, Jesus will never come, friends. But I want to take this a step further. 
What does it mean also to fear God? Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20. What's the purpose of living this righteous life? Let me tell you now, friends, we will never be righteous if we do not learn to obey God without questioning Him at every turn. We will never be righteous if we do not learn to obey Him without understanding the reason why. Exodus 20 and verse 20, the Bible here says, pardon me, verse 20, and Moses said unto the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces, that ye what? Sin not. The result of fearing God to have his fear before our faces is that we ultimately do not sin. Now, you good Bible students out there, tell me, what is the definition of sin? Transgression of the law, but there's another definition of sin in the Bible. What is it? James chapter 4 and verse 17, to him that knoweth to what? Do good and do it not. To him it is sin. So let's not just narrow it down to the Ten Commandments. Let's broaden it out to the Bible because the words of God are good and true. Is that not so? So to him that knoweth to do good and doesn't do it, it becomes sin. So do you know what is good? All of us do. We have this thing in our brain, it's called a conscience. It condemns us when we know that which is good and we don't do it. Whether your moral standards are right or not. But when compared to the Bible, as we study the Bible, as we read the Bible, the Bible gives us this conception, this understanding of what is good and what is not. But I want to take it a step further, friends. Doing good even though you don't understand the reason why. Young people, I'm convinced that we fall short of this very many times. Do you know that it's good to honor your parents? Do you know that? And many of us run into this conflict sometimes because we're at this age where we think our parents are always wrong. It's okay to think that. There's nothing wrong with that. But still honor them. There's a big difference between obedience and honor in the Bible. I think we as young people, we get this mixed up. But you don't have to obey your parents. Because in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents what? In the Lord, for this is right. That's honor. But you can still disobey your parents. They may want you to go to school on Sabbath. They may want you to take the exam on Sabbath. I heard of one parent. So they were Seventh-day Adventists. And their son was going through medical school. This was in Malaysia. And in Malaysia, even in Taiwan, we face challenges all the time on Sabbath, with, about Sabbath, with studies, with work. We are constantly bombarded with it. A public holiday falls on Tuesday. They give Monday off to everybody, but they require that everybody comes in on Saturday to work. Even with the students. We are constantly faced with this dilemma. 
And these parents, they, they, they got on their knees and they begged their son, these Adventist parents begged their son to take the exam on Sabbath. Or else you wouldn't pass. And he refused. He refused. It took him two years longer to finish his med school. But he would rather obey God. And I'm sure in that situation, at that very moment, he did not understand why, Lord. And you know, sometimes it's so easy to question, why me? Why are you allowing me to go through this, God? Why this situation? Why this? I've been so faithful to you, God. Why, why, why? But Abraham did not question. He learned to obey the commandments of the Lord, the word of the Lord, in spite of how he felt. My son, my only son, whom I love. This is how we can be righteous. But why? What's your motivation for living a righteous life? Psalms 111. I'm sure all these texts that I'm sharing with you this morning are familiar to you. I'm not sharing with you anything new. But I hope that we can bring together our understanding this morning and give you a fresh look at your own life and the purpose of why you are striving to be like Jesus today. Because friends, wanting to live the righteous life to go to heaven, you will never get there. John 5, 39, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures, because in them you think is eternal life, but they are they which testify of me. But he says in verse 40, You will not come to me that you might have life. Our motivation saying, Lord, I'm going through this pain and this sacrifice now because I want to go to heaven, we will not do it. We will put it down. It's not enough. If your righteous life is a selfish motivation, and trust me, it is very easy to have that selfish motivation. But if our righteous life is a selfish motivation, I want you to relook at your own life this morning. Psalms 111 and verse 10, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. We know this. But what does it mean to be wise? Proverbs chapter 11. To fear God is to obey. To fear God is to have wisdom, the wisdom of the Lord. What does it mean to be wise? In Daniel 12, it also talks about those that are wise shall shine as stars in the firmament of heaven. But in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30, the Bible here says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And finish that for me. He that what? Winneth souls is wise. Do you know what it means to be wise? <laughs> Do you know what it means to be wise? It's not about living your righteous life. I'm telling you, it takes a lot of wisdom to have a righteous life, the righteousness of Jesus in our life. It takes a lot of wisdom for that. 
But you know, it takes even more wisdom to win souls for Jesus. You're probably thinking, how? Why? Well, I mean, why would it take more wisdom to win a soul to Jesus than to live a righteous life? Friends, let me tell you, I have seen both spectrums, and I'm sure you have as well, but I've seen both sides of Adventism. You know what? I believe they're both wrong. We have these people out there that are ultra-conservatives. Let me describe them to you because I was once one of them. Let me tell you, five, six years ago, I believed that eating cheese was sin. Now, don't throw stones at me because maybe some of you are thinking that right now. I used to think that. You eat cheese, you're sinning. You're a sinner. You eat late at night, you're sinning. Skirts for ladies, full-time. I never used to wear shorts. For I think the better part of six years, I did not even wear jeans. And as I look at back at myself, as I stand over here now, I can only but shake my head. And then you come to this side, and the other side of Adventism is you can do anything and be everything, but Jesus loves you. He does, amen? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Amen? But we, we, we throw aside everything that they believe in because some people are so disgusted of the conservative Adventists that they want nothing to do with them, so I do everything opposite to them, not knowing that many times what I do because I don't like that, I'm going against the Bible rather than human being. Excuse me. But why is it so important to require wisdom to win a soul? Because it focuses, makes you to think about your own life. Do you know many people don't come to Jesus because of us? Do you know many people don't give their heart and life to Jesus because of what we do, what we think? what we say. But yet sometimes it's easy to go, well, that person was not ready. So that's why he's not coming to church anymore. That's why she's not coming to church anymore because they weren't ready for the truth. It takes a lot of wisdom to bring one soul to Jesus, to maintain the balance between the two extremes to allow the person to fall in love with Jesus. Because the person that comes from the worldly perspective, they're not dumb. They have the ability to think. They know when something is weird and not right. But to bring somebody all the way to the foot of Christ, it makes us to think, Lord, was it because of what I said that they're not coming to church anymore? Was it because of something that I did that they're not here today? Is it because of something that they look at me and they think that I'm weird, that they don't want any part of you? I want you to think about your life this morning. 
I praise God that you have the zeal to come to these events, to learn more about Jesus, to desire to live the righteous life. It is important. But we must learn to live our righteous life for others. If I turn this off, can you still hear me? Can I? I'll use a mic. Because... <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. When you do outreach, it makes you focus on your own life. You know why? Because you think about how the other people live. You think about what they do. You think about how they eat, how they spend their time. And when we do outreach, when you go and win a soul to Jesus, it takes more than just preaching. Do you know that? It takes more than just Bible study. It takes mingling your life with theirs. And, and, and when you realize this, your message changes, your thoughts change, and your life changes for the better. When I went to theology school, when I began to study, you know, as all those that begin to grow in Christ, I learned all these things that I never knew as a Seventh-day Adventist. I grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist home, and when I was the age of 19, I did not know who Ellen White was. I didn't. And I don't believe that many people's experiences are different from mine. It wasn't because my parents raised us up validly. Later on, I went home and I found out that we had Ellen White books sitting on our bookshelf. I just hated reading. I loved to play computer games. I never studied the Bible. I grew up going to church. I knew what to do and whatever it was, but I never knew Jesus. But at the age of 20, when I began to grow in Christ, I, for the first time, I opened the Bible to study for myself. For the first time in my life at the age of 21, I began to read the Desire of Ages and God, he, Christ, He began to change my heart and change my life and I began to change. But the more I grew, the more I felt judgmental. Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? Don't, don't they know better? Why, why aren't they doing this and why aren't they doing that? And I began to point and began to criticize and began to be critical. And for four years I was studying. And it was only when I came out four years later, full of knowledge, I began to apply all these things, I began to share with people, and I realized that the average person does not know, need to know what the glorious land is. Do you know what the glorious land is? You're looking at me with puzzled faces. The average person out there on the street does not care what you think about the daily. The person out there that is non-Adventist, non-Christian, they don't care about the nature of Christ. These things that I had been studying about when you're studying theology. As I began to do outreach, as I began to bring souls to Jesus, I realized that these things, as important as they are because they're in the Bible, they're still important. They weren't necessary for me to teach them. It wasn't necessary for me to live a certain way and be a certain way. It balanced me out because it helped me to understand what I needed to do 
in order to bring that soul to Jesus. Friends, fear God, the first part of the first angel's message, the gospel that we're meant to bring to the whole world, it's a message of winning souls. It's a message that tells us, you know what, the harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. Go out there and win souls for Jesus. Stop sitting around and debating about what you think of this and what you think of that. Just go out there and be with the people. Because souls are dying every day in need of the truth. And I'm talking about our simple doctrinal Adventist truths. How do you keep the Sabbath? How do I confess my sins? How do I pray? What is sin? What's God's law? The simplest of truths is all you need to know to bring a soul to Jesus. This is the purpose of why you live a righteous life. Because now you're not living it for your selfish purpose. You're living it for others. Do you know why I'm a pastor? I never wanted to be a pastor. When I graduated in 2006 with a Bachelor of Pastoral Evangelism, my parents said, Ben, go to Andrews and study. I said, no. They said, why? I said, I don't want to be a pastor. The only thing I can do after I study that is be a pastor. I don't want to be a pastor. And I told them, I'm going to do whatever I can as long as I can until I have no, many, no more options, and then I'll go study. God, you have to close all the doors for me tight. No job, no money, no nothing, then I'll go. Today, I don't even have a master's, and I'm the senior pastor for a church over there in Taiwan. God leads, but I never intended to be a pastor. But do you know why I'm a pastor, I believe? It's not because I'm any good. It's because I'm so bad. Do you know, if pastors were not pastors, they would be the worst people on earth? Do you know that? Do you know how easy it would be for me to go back to my computer games? Believe it or not, there's still a temptation to me. No matter how long I've stopped, if I wasn't a pastor, I wouldn't care about what people think about me. You know, when I was studying as a student there in my college back about eight years ago now, I hated the fact that people always talked about me. It's like, why do you have to talk about me? Don't you have anything better to do? And I got so angry. I always got so annoyed at people. And I said, can you just stop? <laughs> but you know what I realized? That people are watching your life. They're looking. They're seeing. They're observing. The world is looking at the Adventists and every other person out there for that matter. But you know what? Most of the time, they don't like what they see. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to live like that. And sometimes our life shows 
that also, although we've grown so much, I believe it's so easy to be extreme from one side to the other. But when you mingle your life with them and they're your friends, they tell you, man, you are weird. <laughs> Why do you do that? And sometimes we don't think about it until we go back to room and go, you know what? Why am I like that? The reason I'm a pastor is because God keeps me accountable because I learn to live my life for others. I keep in mind what other people think, not that I mold my whole life just according to their opinion, no. But I bear in mind what the world thinks about me and whether my life is something that they want to follow. Because in Thessalonians it says, Paul says, be followers of me and of God. People will follow people. But are you following Jesus? Or are you following Jesus to the extent that people want to follow you to be like Jesus? This righteous life is not so that you can just win heaven. This righteous life is so that others will want to come to know Jesus. I want you to think about your life this morning. Do people want to follow you? Do they think you're weird? Don't equate that to 1 Peter 2, 9, because we're a peculiar people. That's why people don't like us. Everybody loved Jesus, but he was the most balanced of all Christians ever. Amen? The little children loved to hang out with him. The Pharisees and the sinners felt comfortable around him. The Pharisees on one side, the sinners on the other, the woman caught in adultery, the lepers didn't cry unclean, unclean approaching Jesus. They just fell at his feet, Lord, help me. They all loved to hang out, if I could say that, with Jesus. This is what balances a Christian life. This is what helps us put in perspective what is important as a Christian and what is not. If all we ever do is preach and study and share the Bible, but we never go out and mingle our lives and rub our lives with other people, we will be easily unbalanced. And this is what happened to the Pharisees. This is what Ellen White said of the Jewish nation. They built up walls so that other people would not touch them. And as a result, they in, in, inserted all these traditions that were not from God, but from man. How far will you go to save a soul, friends? You know, I want to share with you a quote. I just have one slide. It's taken from Christian Service, page 118, paragraph 1. The pen of inspiration writes, There are those who for a lifetime have professed to be acquainted with Christ, yet who have never made a personal effort to bring one soul to the Savior. Have you been brought up in the Adventist church? Have you professed to know Christ all your life? It's not enough. It's not enough. You got to make a personal effort to bring one soul to the Savior. Preaching does not do it. Friends, 
Ellen White tells us that when the minister gets off the pulpit, his work has just begun. But that's where many of our work ends. You know how long I prepared for this sermon? Do you know how hard it is to preach? Not everybody can preach, you know? But the minister's work has only just begun when he gets off the pulpit. They leave all the work for the minister. He may be well qualified for his calling, but he cannot do that which God has left for the members of the church. She further adds an inspiration that there will be in every person that gets to heaven a star in their crown. Have you heard of this quote before? What does that star represent? It was a soul that was brought to the Savior and you were instrumental in bringing them. You were instrumental in bringing that soul to the Savior. Friends, for all our righteousness' sake, have you brought one soul to the Savior? At the end of the day, that's all that matters. How are you living for the people out there? Are you living in such a way that it stops you from bringing a soul to the Savior? Are you the 9.30 lights out person? Are you the 5.30 p.m. I can't eat beyond that sort of time person? Because there are people out there that eat at 8 o'clock. Do you know that? And if you cannot eat with them because it's too late, you will never rub lies with them. You'll never mingle with them. You'll never get to know them. My Bible work experience, my outreach experience with giving Bible studies, it's taken me far and wide. What time you're out till, how you spend time with them, what you do, what time you eat. I'm not saying eat on clean meat. That's not my point. <laughs> but it'll balance your perspective of how the world needs a person to represent Jesus today. Not all high and mighty and so righteous that you cannot stoop down to lift the sinner up from their depths of despair. Doing outreach balances us. When you mingle your lies with the people, it balances everything you think about them. At my church in Taiwan, there are people, my head deacon is in a non-Adventist relationship. I have three others that are Adventists, it's usually the guys. The guys are always going to Taiwan looking for the girls. But there are these Adventists that are non, in non-Adventist relationships. What do you do? What do you do? Do you stand up and condemn them and say you shouldn't do this? Do you think it will bring that one soul to the Savior? What do you think? What do you think? There are church members in my church that go out to eat after Sabbath, is a, uh, after Sabbath divine service. What do you do? You just stand up and tell them it's bad? You think that will bring that soul to the Savior? What do you do? 
Sometimes we, we take the phrase of Christ and we concentrate it on one side too much. We forget that neither do I condemn thee. But we just tell him, go sin no more. Isaiah 58, it says, cry out and spare not and show my people their sins. Don't you know that what they're, don't you know that they know what they're doing is wrong? What do you do? Our preaching, when we look at Matthew 24 and verse 14, preaching this gospel to the whole world, we think that's all we need to do, but preaching is not enough. In fact, Ellen White says we should preach less. We're preaching too much. I'm talking too long, I know. I'm over time already. But preaching does not get you anywhere. You know how I help them? I mingle my life with them. Before I condemn them, I go out and eat with them first. Get close to them. Be friends with them. Invite them over to my place for dinner. That's why you need a good wife, brothers. Because if my wife did not like to socialize, I would be in big trouble. But you bring them over and you get to know them and draw close to them and show them that you love them and you care for them. And only then, a month later, two months later, three months later, then you share with them about the truth. But you know how I share the truth with them? I convert the girl. <laughs> what are you going to tell them? Break up? You think it's that easy to say, okay, I don't love you anymore. We're done because pastor said it's not good. Really? That is not the real world. Convert them. Change them. I do not know one church that does not have this problem. I do not know one church that there is not one member there that's struggling with their diet or with Sabbath or standards or, or whatever that we hold so high as we grow in, grow in Christ. But preaching never got us anywhere. We have to mingle with them. I have done 1% of my work when I close prayer this morning. I have done 1% of my work when I get off the pulpit. The harvest is ready, friends. But how is your life affecting those around you? Those that need Jesus. I want you to think this weekend about your life and how you ought to live to reach the people. Please don't throw everything out. Pastor says, now I can wear shorts and be out there till one o'clock in the morning. That is not the point of my message. Rub your lives with them in such a way that you will know how to live for Jesus. This is the message of fear God. Yes, obey his commandments. Obey without understanding the reason why. But win souls. Obey the commandments that other people will love to come to Jesus. Amen. This is the life that we ought to live today. Matthew 24, verse 14. For this gospel shall be preached in all the world for a witness. Do you know what that word witness means? It means martyr. It means you're willing to die for that person. You're willing to sacrifice, be it your sleep, be it your food, be it your exercise, whatever it is, you're willing to sacrifice for that person. That's what it means to preach the gospel. Not just to stand up on a pulpit 
and share for 45 minutes to one hour. I hope that you're getting this understanding. Before I close, I have just something to share with you. I'm sorry I've gone over time, but the workers really are few in number. Here in Canada and over in Taiwan, and I want to ask if you are, are willing to take a year off and come over to Taiwan. I'm sorry, I don't know who's George here. I'm, I'm looking at both brothers. Uh, <laughs> George, okay. I know you've made the appeal for Canada, but I want to make an appeal for Taiwan. Because we have an international church there. It's an English church, but it's a growing church. We've had eight baptisms this past year and I'm anticipating much more this coming year, but the workers are few in number. And for six months, I've been praying for a Bible worker or an associate pastor. And it's hard to find people in Taiwan because they all speak Chinese and we are at an English church. So any opportunity that I have to go to an English-speaking country, I ask, is there anybody? I've been asking Edwin for the past few months, just tell, ask somebody, please, send us somebody. But if you're interested in doing Bible work, if you're interested in knowing how the cycle of evangelism goes and the model that we use and what we do, I, I would invite you to come, please talk to me. Because the load that I have is much too much for me to handle by myself. But we have a great need over there in Taiwan. We have millions and millions of people in this city, Taipei, that are walking past us every day towards their doom and we're not doing enough. I'm going to be sharing more about this in the seminar, but I hope that you will consider this if you feel a call in your heart to not give everything up, but just a year, six months, be it what it may. I just wanted to make that appeal out there for anybody. If you'd like to, please come see me. Thank you. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, Lord, we want to live for you today but we also want to live for others, that they may come to know you. Help us, O oh Lord, to balance our life perfectly in Christ, that as we walk this road, that others may join us as a result of how we mingle with them and how we live this life. Please, Lord, draw close to each of us. We all have much to learn but I pray that you would guide us in the right way, that as we share the message with people, as we're out there touching lives with our own life, that you would also help us to grow. So Lord, please guide us this day, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.